Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on. I'm on. It's a bit like X Factor, isn't it? The music gets playing and you come up. Well, that's not as exciting because I'm not <laughs> amazing at singing. Um, I was talking to Phil uh, before when I got here early. I got here early because... Uh, we're going away for the week, so uh, I've left Lisa to, she's here now, but she was cleaning the flat. We've got people from Airbnb coming to stay. And going on holiday is stressful when you have kids. Um, and it makes you think, why are we even doing it? And, uh, and Phil said, oh, how's preparation this morning been? I was like, I've watched Shrek 2 and Charlie and Lola. And that was the preparation this morning. Has anyone seen Shrek 2? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Because yeah. you remember Shrek 1, but you don't remember Shrek 2. So I'd encourage you to watch Shrek 2. It's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Um, today we're talking about following the king. We're a few weeks into our series in Mark, and there's no cliffhanger with this. Um, the king is Jesus. Um, so from week one, we stated that right from the very beginning. And if you're new to Beacon, or you've been here a couple of times, you probably would have noticed through the worship that we're pretty fascinated of who Jesus is. The songs are about him, the bread and wine is about him, the prayers are about him. When we're talking about his steadfast love and the love that he pours out to us, it's all about Jesus and what he's done. In the book of Colossians in the Bible, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to get to know who God is, if you want to understand his character, and more importantly, what effect God has on your life, then you look to Jesus. You see the way he responded to people, the way he loved people, and it shows you the love and response that God has for you. If you asked me when I was growing up, would I be all about Jesus, I definitely would have said no. Um, It might have been about money, success, to have a really good job, maybe to get married, have kids, um, but really to have this life where I would be known as someone who had been successful in whatever success was. Um, If you'd asked me, would I be known for someone or would I want to be known as someone who would intimately know a man called Jesus, I would definitely have said, no, there is no chance. And then everything changed for me. I gave my life to Jesus and suddenly I I was still the same flawed person. I still had the same negative character traits, but I wasn't me anymore. Um, You could get good GCSE results, good A-levels, get a degree, get a good job, promotion, married kids, but nothing actually truly satisfies you when you get to know who Jesus is. Knowing Jesus basically ruins you for anything else. And I mean ruin in a good sense. Um, The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when I was 15, I truly tasted, and it was good. And he's like a good bottle of wine, not that I drink wine, don't really like it. Um, But I hear he's like a good bottle of wine. That the older you get, um, the better he becomes. The more you experience him, see what he does in your life, see what he does in other people's lives, the better he is. And I'm excited today to be talking about Jesus Um, I would say that he is the one who offers me complete satisfaction in a world that never truly satisfies. Um, He's the one that challenges me. He's the one that leads me. He's the one that encourages me. Um, He is my king. Following the king. Um, He is my lord, my saviour, and he is my friend. And I'm excited to be talking to you about him. But I believe that talking to you about him is going to challenge you individually and challenge us as a church. Because when you hear about Jesus, you have to respond. You've got to go one way or the other. Um, Am I someone that's going to live my life for Jesus or am I someone that's not going to live my life for Jesus? And what does that mean? So I'm going to pray and then we're going to go straight into the passage and see what God does. 
Um, Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can stand here or sit here today and know that it's all about you. Um, And I thank you that your promise was that we would be full of the Holy Spirit, that it wasn't just that we're saved, but that you want to do a work in us and make us more like you. And I just pray um, today that every single one of us today will leave knowing more about you than when I came in, more excited about you, more encouraged by you, and feel that actually there was a purpose and a plan that you have over us and for us. In your name, amen. 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 So, straight into passage, I think it's going to come up, so you don't have to look on your phones. Um, People on their phones scare me when I'm preaching, because it looks like just playing a game. So, uh, please don't, it freaks me out. So, um, Mark 1, 14 to 15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we know that Jesus has only recently come onto the scene. John the Baptist has been doing his thing, baptising people. He's been proclaiming the message that someone was going to come, that um, someone was going to come who was going to sort out all the mess. But it was different this time. He wasn't talking about the distant future. He was saying that someone was going to come now. The, The Messiah, the anointed one, that in that generation, that lifetime for the people he was talking to, there was going to be someone who was coming who was going to change and transform everything. The person that fulfills all the scripture. The whole of the Old Testament looks towards this one person who is Jesus. He's saying, get ready, he's coming. So Jesus rocks up, he gets baptised. We heard that a couple of weeks ago. And uh, there's this wonderful moment where Jesus is in the water. So the Son of God's there and the heavens break open and the Father's speaking great stuff about his Son and the Spirit descends like a dove. And you've got the glorious threefold nature of God all there together at the same time. You don't often see that in Scripture. It's a beautiful moment. Jesus is up out of the water. Mark's sort of very pacey, so straight away he gets led into the wilderness um, where he is tempted by the devil. He doesn't give in to the devil's seductions he's equipped by the power of the holy spirit and then he returns and this is the exciting bit not that previous preachers haven't been exciting pete i loved it um but this is the exciting bit because jesus returns and he means business now he he's not just the son of god and i say that as as honorably as i can he's a son of god full of the power of the spirit there's something about him that's going to make a massive profound difference to the whole of history for the first time in history it wasn't a prophet proclaiming that god was going to come It wasn't God saying, I'm going to, in the future, sort out the mess that you have made. It wasn't God saying, I'm going to bring my glory to earth. It was God himself. God was there saying, something is going to happen. And that must have been incredible for anyone who was around him. In the Gospel of Luke, you get another story that we don't find in Mark, where Jesus comes back from the wilderness and he goes into the temple and picks up a temple scroll. And um, he reads this scroll, and it's a passage from Isaiah 61 in the Old Testament. And Jesus stands there and says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And it goes on and on and on. And the response from the people is that they marveled. They were astounded. They might have been shocked. They could have even been scared. And you read that and you think, why would you marvel at that? It's a passage that you know. If I asked you to say it, you probably would have been able to tell me where it was from and what the words were. You'd be able to tell me what they meant. It wasn't really about the passage. It was the person that was saying it. The Son of God, the one whom all things were made through and for, was there speaking about himself, fulfilling the scriptures in front of people. It was enough to send shivers down their spine. This is no ordinary man. This was Jesus, and this is the king that we choose to follow. I really want us to get that, and I know I'm labouring the point, because it's in light of this that we're going to read the next passage, which is the main thing I want to focus on. God is walking on earth. God is walking on earth. The, the creator is walking with the created. 
And he's waited thousands of years for this moment. And he's not waited impatiently. He's been patient. He's set a plan in order. He called this guy Abraham and said, I'm going to make uh, your family like the multitudes of stars and the multitudes of sand on the seashore. And he's gathered them and he's created a nation. And even though they flitted in and out of following him, he's kept them secure. And he's gotten to a place where the Son of God could be born within them to fulfill the promise. It's glorious. And Jesus has sort of lived this life for 30 years where most people don't know who he is. They don't know much about him. He's been diligent in serving his father. And he's got to this point, at the age of 30, he thinks, I've got three years to go, three years until I'm going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. I need to start acting now. The Holy Spirit is within me. And to do that, he goes to gather people. And he goes to gather some men. Men in the future would be described as people that turn the world upside down. Jesus was on a mission, and like God, has always shown through the scriptures, he doesn't do it on his own, he does it with people. Not because we make him able to do things, but he wants to capture us and take us on a journey to show us who he is. So, we're going to go to the next part of the passage. This is the main part that I want to focus on. So Mark 1, 16 to 20. Remember, we're reading this in light of this glorious God who's born as a man, who's full of the Holy Spirit, who's ready to really do something that's going to change everything. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, which is Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. My first point for us today is it is no accident. I love Mark here. That Mark in his gospel writing is quite, is quite basic, and um, it means that it's really easy to access what he's talking about. And he makes out that Jesus is just passing along, having a stroll, doesn't really know what he's doing. Jesus isn't really like that. He does know what he's doing. He's intentional. Simon and Andrew were not called randomly to follow him. It's not that Jesus turned up at a beach and saw men on a boat and said, Oi, what's your name? What's your name? Come here. What's your name? Tell me your name. That's not how it works. He knew their name. He knew it was Simon. He knew it was Andrew. He knew it was James. He knew it was John. He knew who they were. He went to find them. He went and sought them out. If you're a believer in Jesus here today, you were not randomly called by God. Jesus is described as the good shepherd, someone who would literally leave the flock to go and find the one and bring them back. God the Father is described as someone who knits you together in your mother's womb. When Jesus hung on the cross, he knew everything about you. There's something glorious about who God is. You are here intentionally. God has sought you out. But often we question this. And that's where things start to go wrong. What if I wasn't born in a Christian family? Who here was born in a Christian family? Because I was. Yeah? You're blessed to be born in a Christian family. But many of us say, actually, well, if I wasn't born in a Christian family, maybe I wouldn't be a Christian. What does that mean? Maybe it's just coincidence and fate or destiny or whatever it may be. Or what if I didn't go to that specific school? Or what if I didn't have that specific life circumstance? Or what if I didn't have that friend that opened up and told me about Jesus? Maybe I would never have known God. Would you know what? There are no what ifs when it comes to your salvation. God purposely sought you out. And if it hadn't worked in one way, it would work in another. He's not limited to the little basic things that we have in our heads. He's transcendent, which means he's above our understanding. 
And we need to live in the truth of that. If we continually walk our lives thinking that God has sought us out, we will live our lives knowing that he has a purpose for us. I think it's the same with my two kids, although obviously I'm not God, so it's a little bit different. Um, I've got two children. You hopefully know who they are, most of you. I've got Zeph, who was one this week, just gone. And I've got Esme, who's three and a half. Um, They're crazy. They're they're not the kind of kids that will just sit in the corner and colour in. Um, Often when you see a group of children all together, you'll very quickly work out which ones are mine. Um, just because the way they are. So Zeph, at the moment, what he loves doing is just hit, picking things up and hitting things. The more excited he gets, the more he hits. Um, Esme, she likes doing, like, pretend play, and uh, she's forever trying to make out it's her birthday, and we've got to sing birthday to her, have birthday to her, and then she's giving you cake, and then she gets upset about the way you eat the cake. Then she says, I'm not your friend anymore, and then she runs off. And we're consistently having these kind of relationships with our children, but we love them. Me and my wife, we love them, and I want them to grow up knowing that I love them. I want them to grow up knowing that they are mine, and I want them to grow up knowing that whatever happens in their life, there is a place for them wherever I am. And that security means that they can face the world knowing that they have a dad who's going to fight for them the whole way. And because I want to build that security in them, I know it will have an effect. I know the students I teach at school that grow up without that security, the effect it has on them. And it's the same when it comes to us and God. But it's better because he's far more incredible than I could ever be. We need to live our lives intentionally to model the life of Jesus, to be secure in who he is and who we are in him. There may be some people here that have never truly given your life to Jesus. There will be an opportunity at the end. Or there may be people that actually say, you know what, I have given my life to Jesus, but it faltered, it stopped, it didn't quite work out the way I thought it was. I prayed the prayer, whatever that may be, but it never really went anywhere. There's another opportunity at the end for you to think, maybe I want to throw myself into who Jesus is. I want to get to know the one that people call Lord, Saviour, King. I want to encounter the living God. My second point is to follow. There we go. Um, We were made to follow. I really believe this. I think there's something inside of all of us that will catch a glimpse of something and will pursue it. I see it in my kids. I see it in the students that I teach. I see it in myself. And often we follow something, we experience it, it satisfies us for a little bit, then we realise it's not great, and then we go for the next thing. That's the way that we live our lives. And actually here, it shows us we're meant to follow Jesus. We see Simon, Andrew, James and John choose to follow him. It's a simple point, but let's not forget the person we're following. Just for a minute, just imagine what it must have been like for these four men. Imagine what it must have been like for them in that day to be called by Jesus. For Jesus to say, come and follow me. The Son of God, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, we have the Bible in hindsight, so we can read it all and say, oh, Jesus, we're going to go and do all of these incredible things. They didn't know that. I don't even think they really understood that he was the son of God. We're here later on in Mark 8 that actually people start, disciples start to realise he is. So at this point, they don't know who he is, but there's something tangibly different about him that makes them leave everything. Just imagine what that might have been like. Throughout the scriptures, when people are full of the Holy Spirit, things just happened. When Moses spent time with God, he would leave the tent where he spent time with God and he'd put a veil over his face because it said his face shone so brightly that people just freaked out because by spending time with God, something just changed. There was this guy called Gideon in the Old Testament, a young man, and he was full of the Holy Spirit and he blew a trumpet to go into war and 30,000 grown men gathered to this young man and went to war with him. 
You've got David, full of the Holy Spirit, that stands in front of a giant, takes him on and wins, and his whole country, the whole nation, therefore wins as well. And you've got Samson, often not spoken about, because he was a bit of a disaster of a man. Um, But he had this moment where the Holy Spirit came on him, and with his bare hands, he ripped a temple down. When the Holy Spirit was there, you knew about it. And here you see Jesus, the Son of God, full of the Holy Spirit, saying, come on, follow me, let's go. Throughout the Gospels, we hear of the phenomenal things that Jesus did. So the disciples would have gone around with Jesus, encountering the things that he was doing. It must have been awesome. Jesus walked on water. He walked on water. Put your hand up if you ever walked on water. Next question, see if anyone's like me. Put your hand up if you've ever tried to walk on water. Okay. You know, like every time I go on holiday, uh, you've got a moment where you're on the side of a pool, and you're hoping no one's looking, but someone probably is looking and thinking, you're after weirdo, but that's me anyway, so it's fine. And I put one foot out, and there's that moment, you're not putting any pressure on it, but it's just like rest. Those that have tried, you know how I feel here. You're, it's resting on the water. And that split moment, you think, I can do it. I can actually do it. And if you really want to be Christian, you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, I can actually do it. And you think, I'm off, and it doesn't work. Never worked. I've tried it. I'm not going to tell you how many times I've tried it, but I've tried it quite a lot of times. And it just doesn't work. He walked on water. Jesus fed thousands of people with a handful of food. I can't even feed myself with a handful of food. (laughs) Literally, it doesn't go anywhere. I'm starving. Um, Jesus calmed a storm. He healed the blind. He brought the dead to life. He knew the innermost thoughts of people without them telling him. And obviously, he rose from the dead himself. Imagine being called by that man. Imagine walking with him for three years in the knowledge that he called you by name. It's not like The Apprentice, where... Alan Sugar has to take you through a 10-week series to try and work out if he wants to say, come and follow me. Jesus rocks up and says, come and follow me. They didn't have to do anything to be able to be included in what Jesus was doing. Imagine going around and people saying, oh, wow, there's this person, Jesus, and he's doing this, that, and the other. And you're like, yeah, I know. I'm with him. I'm with this man. Oh, wow, how did you manage? He asked me to. He knew my name. You could just imagine Jesus knowing your name, Jesus calling you. Imagine hearing from him that the Holy Spirit that is within him was going to fall on them. And they knew their scriptures far better than we do. They would have known the Old Testament, the amazing things that God does when his power comes. Imagine Jesus saying that to you. Imagine eating with Jesus after his resurrection. He's died, he's come back to life. Classic Jesus, cooks some fish on a beach. And they're sitting there eating some fish with the Son of God, full of the Holy Spirit, that's just died, overcome sin and death. And he's sitting there eating with them. And imagine thinking, wow, the world, the universe is never going to be the same again. Just imagine living at that moment. I would say that we don't have to imagine. I would say that the same Jesus who walked on water, healed the sick, fed the thousands, poured out compassion and rose from the dead, has called you, has called me to follow him. The same Jesus that promised you the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of God to be pulsating through your veins. The very same Jesus has said that you will do greater things than he even did. He said that he's going to build you into a church that will see the ends of the earth come to know the glory of God. If that doesn't make you want to follow him, I don't really know what will. We don't have to look back and think, oh, if only. If only I was a disciple that was called by name. Do you know what? You are a disciple and you were called by name. If only I was with Jesus when he healed the blind. Do you know what? You have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you if you're a believer and you can see the blind healed. 
Okay, it's phenomenal stuff. Jesus changes lives and he has called you to follow him. We don't have to imagine. We read this to inspire us, that God will challenge us. But you know what? We live in an age where God can do incredible things. We just need to follow. And what I just want to end on on that point is when you look at the fishermen that he called, they weren't anything special. They were uneducated, they were poor, and they were relatively anonymous. They were nothing. No one really knew who they were. They had family, they would have had some friends, but they were not inspirational. And nor are you, and nor am I. But Jesus uses people for his glory, and he takes you on a journey. Through God's grace, they were chosen. Through God's grace, we are chosen. And through God's grace, we choose to follow. But it is a choice. And we need to choose daily to follow him. My second point is to surrender. It's not just following, it's surrendering. There is a cost in following Jesus. These four men left their nets, they left their families, and in doing so, they left their lives in order to follow Jesus. When I was 16, um, I invited two friends to an Alpha course. It was quite exciting. It was the first time I think I'd ever asked someone that wasn't a Christian to find out about who Jesus was. And uh, one of them was called Heather. And uh, she came to this Alpha course, and I was on the table with her, so she asked lots of questions about Jesus. And you could see, like, the cogs turning. She started to understand a little bit about who Jesus was. She came to church a few times, and there was one week where someone came and preached, and they did an altar call, which is where you're almost invited to the front to see if you want to give your life to him. And she went forward, and it was amazing. I remember that moment where I just thought, wow, this is the first person that I have ever known personally who's given their life to Jesus. And uh, one of my youth leaders went down and spoke to her during this time. And I was looking from afar and I could see actually the conversation wasn't going too well. You see, I knew Heather's life. I knew there were some things within Heather's life that weren't going so well, that weren't so good, that weren't actually in accordance with who Jesus was. And I knew, because I knew my youth leader, the kind of conversation that was happening down there. She would have been saying, do you know what, you want to follow Jesus? Fantastic. But you've got to surrender these things. You've got to let them go. And that doesn't mean you've got to have the strength to be able to do it. I believe that God gives you the strength to do it. But it means that you've got to be willing to drop those things. You can't follow Jesus while you're holding on to things because you're going to be looking to those things while you're following him. She left upset, realising that she just couldn't do it. I left upset. But it was a profound moment in my life that I'll always remember. Jesus requires everything. It's not even things that are going wrong in your life. These men, they were making a living. Okay, so they were just getting a load of fish that they would sell to earn some money and they were looking after their family. Two things the Bible speaks really well of. It is good to have a job, it is good to earn, it's good to provide and it's good to look after your family. They are very good things. As a church, we would say you should do. But Jesus tells them to drop it and surrender it. It's a massive moment. In this moment, it's not about what is right and what is wrong. It's about, are they willing to surrender everything for Christ? You see, Jesus wanted all of those men. He wanted absolutely every part of them because he wanted to do something with them. He didn't want them and their stuff. He just wanted them. Jesus wanted to enter their lives. He wanted to put something within them, captivate them. He wanted to make them marvel, renew their minds, put a dream, a purpose, a vision in them that would not cease, a fire inside of them that would not die. And for that, he needed just the men. He didn't need anything more. It's not that what they were leaving behind was wrong. 
It's just that he wanted to do something in them so profound. When I read about the stories in Acts of what the disciples did, who were then called the apostles, because basically they just planted churches wherever they went. I read that and I'm like, wow, I want to be like that. I want to go somewhere and see the multitude saved. Peter stood up and preached and 3,000 people in an instant gave their life to Jesus. And I read those moments, but where did it start? It started with them in a boat saying, I'll leave it behind. It started with them surrendering who they were. When I was saved, I knew football was my God. I wasn't that good, but I thought I was. Um, And I wanted to make it. And I knew that money was a dream. And I knew my success in life was my foundation. So when I gave my life to Jesus, I gave up football. Not because football's wrong. Um, but because I knew in my heart I couldn't do both. I wasn't, I wasn't strong enough to do both. I got baptised. I invited my whole team to my baptism. That was a bit crazy, a bit scary. Um, but God started to work in me. Suddenly, what I cared about wasn't the key anymore. It wasn't about me. It was about him. People started to know things about me because of who I was in Jesus rather than because of the things that I was successful in. Sometimes we do drop things, but then we pick them up again. Oh, girl, dear God, I've surrendered this. And then you follow him and you run back and pick it up. Okay? It's exactly the same principle. Or sometimes you surrender things, and then as you go through your life, God gives you more, and you hold on to them. You think, oh, God's given me this. You don't know what? You still live a life of surrendering, and you pursue him. You don't pursue anything else. We pursue him. Today is an opportunity for many of you to say, do you know what? I have given my life to Jesus, but I'm holding on to things. I want to surrender everything because it's only through surrendering that we truly catch hold of who he is. Tim Keller, a famous pastor in America, said this. He said, sacrificing personal peace and affluence for transcendent causes has become rare, even for people who say they believe in absolute values and eternity. I'll read that again because I had to read it loads of times to make sense of it. But it's great when you get it, okay? He said, sacrificing personal peace and affluence, giving up things that make you feel secure, that make you feel okay, giving up your money, okay, for transcendent causes has become rare. Transcendent causes, things of God, okay? So it's now rare for people to give up things of themselves to follow something that isn't themselves, even, and this is the scary bit, for people who say they believe in absolute values and eternity. There are people, and I have definitely been one of them, okay, that say, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to give my life to you, I want to experience you, I want to be full of the Holy Spirit, I want to do these incredible things for you, but I can't sacrifice whatever these other things may be. They might not be bad things, they might be good things, but I just can't let them go. And therefore, I never immerse myself truly in who God is. There's um, a story in the gospel about this rich young man who goes to Jesus and says, do you know what, Um, I'm I'm following all the commands, I'm doing everything. If you gave me all the lists, I'd be able to tick them all off. What else do I need to do? What do I need to do to be saved? And he just said, do you know what, sell everything you've got and follow me. This man was asked by Jesus if he wanted to follow him. This is the Jesus that did all those crazy things, walked on water, fed the thousands, and this man had the opportunity to follow him. But he didn't sell his possessions because he wasn't able to. He didn't feel like he could. He couldn't surrender everything he had for a transcendent cause. And he went away knowing that he would truly never know Jesus. We're called to give everything up. We're called to surrender. And it is a cost. It's not just when you give your life to him, it's all the way through. In fact, I would say in my life, it's become harder as I've gone on. To be willing to lay down everything 
Okay, that's like my house, or a flat, I should say. It's quite rare to have a house. Um, but my house, the money that I've earned, like I work hard. Yeah, you know when you get that, your pay packet, obviously young people have no idea what it's like to get a pay packet. But when you get a pay packet, it's, you're like, I've, I've really earned this. And that's why it hurts when the tax comes out. You just think, that's so cruel. Because I've spent so long earning this money, it's mine. Or maybe um, surrendering the justice that I deserve. Someone has harmed me. Someone has hurt me. And surrendering that to follow Christ. That's hard. Since the age of 18, I believe that God has called me to lead a church. He's put that desire in me. It was never part of a desire of me. I didn't want to do that. Um, my family are still shocked to this day that I'd ever even want to do it. And, um, they, and, and he called me. I, I know it. I know he's called me to do it. And that meant the decision I made to be a teacher was affected by that call. I thought I could be going to part-time teaching. I'd be around in the evenings. I could do stuff on a weekend. So that when God did what he does, I could go and plant a church. And it became apparent pretty soon that I wasn't living my life for Jesus. I was living my life for a dream that he had given me to plant a church. Even though that is a good thing. So I very quickly in my teaching career had to surrender the dream that I believe God had given me in order to pursue him. And then things started to happen. Then I started to actually appreciate the people around me at school. Then I started to work with them. And God did some stuff. I'm not going to go on about it. A lot of you know. Okay? But to see young people that I have taught give their life to Jesus, be full of the Holy Spirit, baptised, love him, cherish him, is remarkable. But it only happened because I surrendered the dreams that God had given me in the first place. And it's happening now. In order for me to really pursue Jesus, I need to be willing to let go of the things that I'm holding on to. So these young men that I taught when they were 11 years old, I have to learn to let go of them because it's not about them, it's about Jesus. And I will not have any impact on anyone else's life unless I truly follow him. There's no one like him. But let me tell you, it's totally worth it. Giving away everything sounds scary, and it is scary, but it's the most liberating thing. I have never met anyone that's given everything for Jesus and regretted it. Because when you give everything, Jesus gives everything to you, and what he has for you is greater than what you gave up in the first place. It is amazing. And that's why when we read the Bible, that's why it should inspire you, because these men, these young men, were totally transformed because of who Jesus was, but also because of the way they committed themselves to him. We have a part to play. It's not just him. My third and final point, fourth, fourth and final point, um, says live out your purpose. This is the thing that really excites me. I'm quite passionate. I'm passionate about Jesus. But when it comes to Jesus, this is the thing I'm really passionate about. Jesus has saved me. And if you've given your life to him, he's also saved you. And that is phenomenal. That is incredible. If all he had ever done was save you, that is enough, that is beautiful, he's worthy of worship, end of. But he hasn't just done that. He has promised you that you're going to live a life where the power of the Holy Spirit is within you and he's going to put a purpose in front of you. And what is really exciting, the purpose he has given you is his purpose. So he is calling you to do the things that he himself wants to do. The God of the universe, the creator of everything. I mean, he said, let there be light, and there was light. I've tried that as well, by the way. That one doesn't work. Um, you definitely got to use a light switch. Um, but he says these things, and things just happen. God just does stuff, and he has called you to live out your life for him. He's called you to follow in his footsteps, to experience his victory, and to bring in his kingdom on this earth. When God set the Israelites free in Egypt, it must have been incredible. 
must have been amazing. Can you imagine? You've been in slavery your whole life. 400 years they were there. Okay? And none of them lived for 400 years. So everyone at that time was born in slavery, existed in slavery. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. They never knew what it was like to be free. And life was hard. Really hard. And then God broke in and there were plagues all over the place. And um, a river turns to blood and locusts start swarming in and animals die. And um, all this horrendous stuff happens, but God still keeps his people secure. And then there's this race to to the river where they're getting chased by the Egyptians. And then God splits the sea. He splits a sea. I haven't tried to do that one. Um, but it's when he split the sea and they're, they're running through it and then God takes out their enemies. He didn't just set them free. He took out the people that were chasing them. And if you could go and interview one of the Israelites on the other side of that river, if you could go and interview them and say, are you still a slave? They'd say, no, I'm not a slave. I have been set free. You say, how do you know? Because my life was like that. God did this. My life is now like this. Amazing. But you know what? There was meant to be more. They weren't just meant to be set free. And what is really sad is they never actually fulfilled their purpose. You see, God wanted to take a nation into the promised land. He wanted to heal them, to bind them together so that they would be a blessing to the ends of the earth. That was the plan. What an amazing plan. So actually, you might look back and think, oh, God did this stuff in Egypt. But actually, what he was going to do is even greater than what he was going to do in Egypt. But... Those people wandered around the wilderness. They didn't surrender. They didn't pursue. They didn't follow God for all he's worth. God just waited for them to die. Okay? So he could take their children, the next generation, into the promised land. They missed out. We're not just saved from something, but we're saved for something. Jesus calls these men. You know how to fish? I'm going to make you fishers of men. I will do a work in you that is so powerful that you're going to haul souls rather than fish. The multitudes are going to hear about who Jesus is because of what I'm doing in you. Remember, as was said a few weeks ago, it's not about you striving. Okay? God doesn't love you anymore because of the experiences you have. Um, God's not going to um, think you're any more amazing because people you know have come to know who Jesus is. We're all flawed. Okay? God loves you because he loves you because he loves you. It's beautiful. That's grace. You wake up in the morning. If you have a rubbish day, he loves you at the end just as much as if you had a good day. Okay, he's amazing. But actually, there's something exciting about being caught up in who God is. Living for his purpose is more exciting than living for anything else on this earth. It's liberating. So I'm going to pose the question. Do your colleagues know you're a Christian? Do your friends at school know you're saved? Are there people that you have told about Jesus? Are there people you've told about Jesus? Do they see something in your life? Because you know what? There are so many people that I know what they're passionate about. Because that's the chit-chat, isn't it, when you see people at work. Oh, yeah, okay. I know Arsenal played a weekend. This was the result. He likes Arsenal. So when I see him, we can talk about Arsenal. That conversation's done. Move on. We all have those moments at work. You know what people are passionate about. Do people know that you're passionate about Jesus? Paul said in Romans, How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Preaching doesn't mean just standing here. Telling people about Jesus. St. Francis of Assisi um, spoke about um, you should, in everything you do, proclaim who God is, even if you're not using words. And I do believe in that, but actually you do need to use words. 
You do need to tell people who Jesus is, but you're only ever going to do it if you truly followed him, if you truly surrendered your life to him, and you think he's worth it. And if you don't, it's about getting hold of him and working out how important this man, this God, actually is. You don't have to stand on the street shouting into a megaphone. Okay? But if you feel the Holy Spirit telling you to do it, do it. Okay? So there was a a moment... Uh, it wasn't a great moment, but I'm glad I did it. I remember I was at uni, and I, was, I lived in Camden. And I was walking down Camden High Street, probably been about one in the morning, with a couple of friends from church. And there's a, quite a famous club called Coco in Camden. And uh, people are queuing. And I looked at my friend and just said, oh, do you know what? What's great about people in queues is if you're speaking to them, they can't go anywhere. <laughs> like, they can't leave because they want to get in the club. And he looked at me, I looked at him, and was like, let's just tell him about Jesus. So we stood there. So the cord is here, there, there. We stood about here. And we just openly started talking about Jesus. Most ignored. Some looked at us as if we're weird. A few people swore. Yeah? That was the result of doing that. Do I know if anything happened from it? No. Okay? Am I, was I embarrassed at the time? Yes. Am I delighted that I did it? Yes. Because there was something inside of me that I was so caught up in who Jesus was. I just didn't care. I don't care what people think because Jesus is worth more. You don't have to quiet the classroom or the office down to declare openly your love for Jesus. But again, if the Holy Spirit called you to do it, then please do. But let me tell you what you do have to do. You've got to love people. You've got to love them because Jesus loved people and we are called to love. You've got to show compassion. And that can be done in a huge amount of ways. As a church, we do food bank. We do cat. Okay? Very compassionate. We pray for people. We have a fund of money that if we're going away for a weekend away and someone's part of the church and they can't come, we will help you. Why? Because you're worth more than money. That's what's important. We're called to love people. We're called to listen and to point people to Jesus through our own experience and through our own faith. We live in a dying world and the people need Jesus and we have the answer. We've got the answer and we don't always share it. We don't share that answer. And why don't we? Well, it's obvious, I experienced the same thing, because we're afraid. We're afraid what people think of us. Are we going to lose opportunities? Is that promotion not going to come? Will I not get that perfect wife or husband if I live my life like this? Um, What will people think of me at work? Will I lose friends? But actually, what I've realised over the last 10 years, I'd rather get it wrong with my friends and get it right with God. I'd rather be seen in a certain way by people and in a different way by God. I want to pursue him. I want to know him because it's more exciting than anything else. I remember when I was at uni, um, there was this man that would walk past uh, the, the flat where I lived with some friends and literally he'd walk doubled up in pain. It took him ages to get anywhere. And every day he'd walk that way. And um, I went to pray for him. I went down the stairs and said, oh, I'm a Christian. Um, I believe God heals. Can I pray for you? I prayed the best prayer. I know you shouldn't rate prayers, but this prayer is pretty good. <laughs> and um, he wasn't healed. wasn't healed. And uh, then you don't really know what to say. When someone's not healed, and you're just like, well, this is awkward. And he acknowledged it was a bit awkward, and that was the end of that. The next day, he's walking along the, the road again, and I see him. I'm going to go and pray for him. So I run down the stairs, and I was like, I'm really sorry God didn't hear you last time. I'm basically apologising on behalf of God. don't know if I should have done that. But it was a way in. And I said, can I pray for you? He said, yes, prayed for him. Same result. Wasn't healed. I remember when I was about 15, 16, I'd go around with this guy um, who used to walk the pavements in Eltham, South East London, and he would tell people about Jesus. And he had this amazing gift where God would speak to him and then he would just tell people things about their lives that he would never have known. And I was just there as like a sideman. 
Yeah? So I was just with him, just learning. Yeah? And he'd always say to me, oh, do you know what? If God's saying something, I was like, oh, I don't know. A few weeks in, he's talking to this woman. It's all going really well. Like, she's opening up. And I feel like okay, God might be saying something. <laughs> so I said to her, I feel like God said something. She said, okay. And I said, um, oh, I feel like God's saying, do you know what? You're, you're a really good mum. You're doing really well with your kids. And she looked at me with a sympathetic smile and said, uh, I don't have kids. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That ruined that conversation, I can tell you. That didn't really go anywhere after that. Um, There was another time when I was at church and um, I felt that God had given me a word to say and in the church I was in, you'd often come to the front and speak on the mic. So I went and spoke on the mic and I was really passionate and uh, it just came out wrong. It came out as like judgment rather than grace. And I could tell when I was going for it, just thinking, this is a bit awkward, this isn't going well. Um, But you've started now, so you might as well just finish. And I sat down and then the pastor got up after me and sort of compassionately explained what I had done so badly. And, and, and then it made a difference in people's lives. And, and I left thinking, oh, that didn't go well either. I've got so many times in my life where it's just not gone well that I have followed Jesus, surrendered everything, pursued him, and fallen, and fallen, and fallen. I look back, I'm delighted that I preached in front of a load of randomers at Coco. Okay? I'm delighted that I prayed for someone twice, even though I wasn't healed. Okay? I'm delighted in what God has done in me because I want to follow him. There's a guy called um, uh, Hudson Taylor, and uh, he went to China. Read his biography, it's phenomenal. He went to China um, to tell about Jesus. There's no no Christianity in China, none at all when he went. And he lived there for eight years and didn't see a single person saved. Eight years. That is ridiculous. I feel like I've been a teacher forever. Work can be long. Yeah, I haven't been a teacher for eight years. Eight years is ridiculous. And you would look at that and say, zero fruit. Like, what's the point? Come home. Come home. It hasn't worked. You go to China now, there are millions and millions and millions and millions of people that love Jesus. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.